This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, Waiver Wire Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and joining me, as he always does in this lovely Tuesday afternoon, the one, the only PFF ranking expert, just overall baller, Nathan Yonke himself. Nate, happy week three, my friend. Yeah, happy for week three. Um, had that doubleheader of Monday Night Football, which I personally would prefer if there was just one Monday Night Football game every week rather than the two. So I'm not going back and forth between the two games, but whatever, it's the last one of the year. So we'll have normal Monday Night Football going forward. You know, my family's come to accept that just on Sunday, like I, I might be sitting there, but I'm working. I'm not really there when the Monday night thing now has to creep lower down. And it's harder, Nate. It's just harder to kind of get the uh, fan behind it. But that's OK, because as always, you know, it's fantasy football for uh, family and faith in that order. That's what it is at the hardest household, at least. So plenty of wave wire stuff ahead. You know, appreciate all you YouTubers, all you live listeners tuning in. If you have specific questions, feel free to throw them out at us here. We're going to go quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, all the top wave wire options of the week. Also, guys, that you should probably be avoiding, even if you've been hearing them as big names. So before that, as we start off every one of these wave wire shows, want to quickly go through some of the biggest sheeshes of the week. And by sheesh, I mean nullified touchdowns. Bad passes that could have been touchdowns drop touchdowns all the sort of beyond the box score notes that matter but if you didn't actually have a chance to go watch the game maybe you didn't pick up on so i have gone back watched every single game at one point or another and with that nate i do have my week two sheeshes as always you can find on pff.com and they're free great day to be great but the biggest sheesh player of the week has to be chris alave 320 air yards, Nate. And yes, a good amount of them were prayer yards, but this wasn't like Jameis just chucking the ball 80 yards downfield and like Alave happened to be 30 yards away. Like these were designed deep shots for Chris Alave that ultimately they just couldn't connect on until they did at the end and they gained 50 yards and it was cool. But then Alave fumbled the ball before he got to the ground. Unfortunately, couldn't get that. So 80 yards for Chris Alave, but yeah, you're gonna be seeing him on the top of every single buy low article this week just because of all those air yards several pass catchers that could have scored or picked up big yards with with a more accurate pass sterling shepherd man wide open for a potential 78 yard touchdown daniel jones couldn't quite get it to him now some of these the wide receiver does get interfered with and they get hell with those which throws off the timing i get it this one was pretty egregious though so sterling shepherd gonna be talking about him here in a little bit but it's just great to see him back this early from the achilles and still able to get open New York Jets wide receiver Garrett Wilson had two touchdowns, quite possibly could have had three, got pretty wide open in the second quarter after a really nice sluggle route from the slot. Joe Flacco sailed it over his head, though. Baltimore Ravens tight end Mark Andrews also already had a big day. If you guys saw at the end, though, again, it would have been a tough pass from Lamar, but Andrews did break free down the seam. Ravens end up having to settle for that go-ahead field goal. Could have been a go-ahead touchdown with a better pass. DJ Chark nearly capitalized on a well-designed flea flicker for a 35-yard touchdown. 
I don't want to call it a drop, but it was a nice throw from Goff, and just the diving effort didn't quite work out. Later, it was definitely Jared Goff's fault when Chark was breaking wide open deep down the middle before halftime, and Goff just sailed it. Would have been good for 50-plus. Dallas Cowboys wide receiver CeeDee Lamb now back-to-back weeks where he has gotten open deep only for Cooper Rush to unfortunately sail it. So not the worst performance by Cooper Rush or anything, but could have possibly been a 47-yard score after Lamb put Chidobia Wuzier in a blunder. And also, Bills fullback Reggie Gilliam making the list because he actually was pretty involved in the passing game on Monday night. Got wide open in the third quarter for a potential 40-yard game, but Josh Allen sailed it. I think most fantasy managers were happy with this because on the very next play, Josh hit Stephon Diggs a slightly more relevant fantasy player, Nathan, for a 46-yard touchdown. A uh, handful of drop touchdowns on the week. Jacksonville Jaguars return specialists and part-time wide receiver Jamal Agnew dropped a beautiful 41-yard potential touchdown from Trevor Lawrence. That sucked to see. Brandon Cooks dropped a six-yard touchdown potential from Davis Mills. Mills went right back to him. Cooks caught the next one, couldn't get his feet down inbounds. So back-to-back plays where Cooks was oh so close to getting in the end zone. Shai Smith could have had a 26-yard touchdown from Baker Mayfield. Was a great pass, but unfortunately couldn't get his feet down. Minnesota Vikings tight end Irv Smith did catch a touchdown. Could have had like a 60-yard chunk touchdown, though. Blown coverage. Kirk Cousins, perfect ball out there. Just couldn't get it. Rough day for Irv Smith. You know, Nate, when the guy hurts his thumb in the preseason, I guess that could impact his ability to catch. But, yeah, certainly wasn't a good one. And finally, Tyler Higby, everyone's favorite streaming tight end last week, did have seven catches for 71 yards. Dropped this sidearm sling from Matthew Stafford that like, you know, one of those, if Patrick Mahomes did it, you know, everyone would be talking about it type of plays, but Stafford's elbow certainly looks good enough to still throw like 45 degree passes. Higby just couldn't get there. Two major sequences. The Ravens had an 18 play drive, take 10 minutes, 52 seconds off the clock, produce zero points. Mike Davis stuffed twice from the two and one yard line. Then Lamar Jackson got stuffed and then they fumbled the snap on fourth down. That one especially hurts when you consider the four point loss. Also, the Broncos had a pretty sheeshful sequence. They went deep to Cortland Sutton from the 44 yard line. He drew DPI, just missed getting the dope one handed catch. Russell Wilson, being the cool guy he is, goes right back to Sutton. They score. No, they don't. His feet were actually out of bounds. They go back to Sutton again. Incomplete pass on third down. Javante Williams sitting wide open in the middle. Russ finally throws it. Drills a lineman in the head. The ball shoots up in the air. Somehow finds Kendall Hinton in the back of the end zone. He catches it, but he can't get two feet down. Just an absolutely ludicrous sequence there from the Broncos. Could have scored feasibly three or four times, but just didn't. Some near pick sixes. Uh, Panthers linebacker Frankie Lubo should have picked six. Daniel Jones before the half dropped it. Same thing with Jalen Ramsey versus Marcus Mariota. And earlier, didn't actually... Almost didn't need two as late game heroics uh, or just not as many late game heroics because Lamar Jackson was very nearly picked by Xavier Howard, but it was dropped. So have some other ones that, you know, are a little just less egregious and good ball, no touchdowns, not the worst throws, but also not the best penalties and just shorts that you can find in that article. But the grand finale, Nathan, has to go to DK Metcalf. Dude goes downfield, makes arguably the single best catch of the season. Like we're talking OBJS going up one handed, reeling it in, contested coverage, all that. Nope. Illegal man downfield penalty had nothing to do with the play. Unfortunately, took back what would have been a huge gain for DK Metcalf. So those are the week two sheeshes. And as always, you can find the sheesh report, as I'm calling it. The editors call it other stuff that's a little bit more SEO friendly, understandably. But you can find that for free on PFF.com. So good stuff, Nate. Let's get to the main event now. And that is going to be the waiver wire. And I mentioned there at the end, but... Tua Tagovailoa. Now, I was joking with uh, Dwayne McFarlane on the review pod where Tua is just one of these guys where 
I don't know if it's because he's lefty. I don't know if it's just because he's from Bama, the rough two first years of his career. But until we get like legitimate GPS coordinates showing us that his receivers have never had to slow down for a deep ball, we're still going to have some slander with that said style points. Don't matter in fantasy football and count them six touchdowns in this offense. I think we can be expecting more good things for Tua moving forward through two weeks. Mike McDaniel has the Dolphins utilizing the number one play action rate in the league and also using the most shift and motion rate uh, before the play starts. So really, like, even if you don't believe in Tua at this point, Nate, I think you need to believe in Mike McDaniel, Jalen Waddle, and Tyreek Hill. And just by virtue, that does make Tua a very attractive streamer for this week and beyond. I have him, I believe, QB 12, maybe QB 13 this week, just because it is a tough matchup against the Bills. But of all the, all the guys out there on the waiver wire, Nate, Tua's the guy that I think most consistently down the stretch we can see cracking that top 12. I definitely agree with you there. I'm not even picking him up necessarily for this upcoming week, but just good to have him on your roster for the rest of the season. Um, he's improving at least somewhat as a passer. Yeah, he's not doesn't have the talent as some of the other quarterbacks that you're starting at fantasy football, but with the offensive around him, the wide receivers around him, uh, leading the league in passing yards by a decent amount right now. So definitely someone who needs to be on rosters and in the right matchups, definitely in your starting lineup. Last week, Carson Wentz was our suggested streamer. If he's still out there, like, yeah, that's fine. Go for it. He has been putting up some big-time big, big time performances. From 2016 to, 21, to 2021, Carson Wentz had four games with at least 300 passing yards and three or more passing touchdowns. Already has two this season. Hey, man, you have a bunch of playmakers, and you put even a volatile quarterback under center. Good things are going to happen sometimes. And speaking of a volatile quarterback, the Jameis Winston experience, Nate, our second recommended streamer of the week. Again, style points don't matter. And in a lot of leagues, interceptions are only worth minus one point. So we tend to not really care about them as much in fantasy football as we do in real life. And bro, the Jameis experience has just been in full effect. Right now, he's second in the league in average target depth. He's top five in big time throw rate, which is good. He's also bottom five in turnover worthy play rate, which is bad. What's it equal though? Entertainment for everyone except sometimes Saints fans. So Nate, overall thoughts on the 2022 version of the Jameis Winston experience and how you're kind of shooting him the rest of the way. Uh, yeah, definitely excited for him. As you said, a, a ton of big plays, huge uh, average depth of target, throwing plenty of deep passes. And we also know his health was an issue in this game, uh, dealing with back issues. So that very well impacted some of those negative plays that he had. So ideally he gets a little bit more healthy as the season goes on and plays a little bit better, which helps the Saints probably more than it helps fantasy managers, but also helps fantasy managers too. So uh, someone that I definitely want as a backup quarterback, especially as some of the guys that people were drafting to be their starting quarterback haven't been playing as well. Third recommended streamer we got here at quarterback is going to be bear signal caller, Justin Fields. Now, I said it a million times before the season started. You've said it, Nay. Every fantasy analyst was talking about how the last four starts that Justin Fields had in 2021, he was able to rip off four top 12 finishes. First two weeks of 2022, QB 23 and QB 28. Not great. With that said, week one was a borderline monsoon against the 49ers. And even last week against the Packers, bad field conditions and just a, a fluky game, man. Like just, you know, talking to Dwayne at the end of our review pod, like we just couldn't figure out how uh, – what was it, 17 point loss? The Bears had like 11 pass attempts on the entire game. So I think, you know, just not being able to sustain drives and just with the conditions, them not really being willing to pass the ball against Jair Alexander and company. I'm not willing to completely hold these two games that, again, can be explained away fairly easily against Fields here. What we did see last week was him get in the end zone on his own in that first drive as a rusher and come within a half yard on two attempts later in the game of getting that uh, rushing touchdown again. So, Nate, we don't have Trey Lance anymore. 
rough start for Justin Fields. But honestly, for those managers out there that lost to Trey Lance, lost to Dak Prescott, if you can find someone that probably, I mean, Justin Fields is available in plenty of leagues already. Like he is, has always been the arbitrage version of Trey Lance. He can't get any worse than what we saw in the first two weeks. At least you've been getting that rushing upside, Nate, which is the reason why we were interested in Fields in the first place. Exactly. Uh, I believe still leads the league in rushing attempts by a quarterback, which is great to see. Just hasn't broken that big run out yet or been getting tackled fairly quickly on some of those runs. So ideally, his yards per carry increases over time. Um, his average depth of target over 10 yards, which is definitely good to see for a fantasy quarterback. Volume has just been a killer. Efficiency has been a killer. So I definitely expect the volume to go up over time. Um, they do have a new coaching staff. Things just probably aren't gelling quite as well as you'd like to see at the beginning of the season, but definitely plenty of time for that to improve. So definitely not someone you want to put in your starting lineup right away, but if you have room on your bench, he's someone that I'm fine having on the bench, especially if you're happy with your quarterback currently. Next four matchups, Texans, Giants, Vikings, and Commanders. And it's tough to call any matchup good for the Bears. I fully have watched their offense. I understand that, you know, they're pretty they can make any defense look like the 85 Bears, you know, depending on the day. Still, though, should be a bit better than starting off the year with the 49ers and the Packers. So again, top three streaming QBs of the week to uh Jameis Winston and Justin Fields. Nate, do you have a general fab recommendation for quarterbacks? Obviously, you know, we're wanting to save that as much as possible for the occasion occasional three down running back or the breakout wide receiver that we get because quarterback is easier to stream week to week. But maybe with someone like Tua, is that where we're interested in maybe going up to like the 15, 20% range or do you think that's a little steep? Um, I'd probably stick with 10 to 15% for Tua since he is taken in a lot of leagues. So the leagues that he's available, you're probably having to drop someone fairly good to pick him up, which I would also consider there. So um, probably 10, 15% for Tua and these other guys, probably even lower just because they were on your waiver wire before and had the upside that they should have been picked up before. There wasn't a ton this past week to elevate them even higher on the list. So uh, other fantasy managers probably also aren't jumping to pick up one of those guys unless they have Trey Lance and are in desperate need for a quarterback right now. Getting into running back now. First of all, I know he's owned in like 80% plus leagues, but even if this helps one of you out there, I just want to get it off my chest real quick. Ramondre Stevenson, Damon Harris hurt, Ty Montgomery on IR, James White retired, J.J. Taylor, you know, freaking Kevin Harris or retire like back in July for Ramondre Stevenson to really capitalize on that sleeper potential that everyone kept talking about. Well, guess what? They've now basically all got hurt or at least are looking questionable for this week. So Ramondre Stevenson, man, if Damian Harris is out of the picture, Nate, we're talking about a legitimate top 12 running back, potentially either way, someone that we're definitely going to want to jam in the starting lineups of all shapes and sizes. So God forbid Stevenson is out there on your waiver wire. Go get him. Same thing goes for Jeff Wilson. He was last week's number one or maybe number two, uh, running back waiver wire edition of the week. We had the Henderson thing going on there. And really we saw that Wilson was the definitive number one running back in San Francisco last week, got unlucky, caught a pass, got down at the one yard line, then got stuffed later from the one yard line. Biggest competition, Tyrion Davis price now going to miss out of time with a high ankle sprain. So honestly, his usage could be way better than what we even saw last week moving forward. So Ramondre Stevenson, Jeff Wilson, if they're still out there on your waiver wire, go get them because just among these other guys we have, those would be the top two. But I understand they are taken in a lot of leagues already. And that takes us to Raheem Mostert. Uh, Nate, man, 
Chase Edmonds, pour one out for all the fantasy managers there. But, you know, when one fantasy player goes away, it usually leaves an opportunity for someone else in his place. So, yes, Chase Edmonds had the majority of early down snaps in week one. He dominated really usage all over the place in week one. It went right back to Raheem Mostert last week, though. And can't say enough good things about your running back usage charts on PFF.com, specifically in your waiver wire article, Nate. Everyone can check these out with a PFF Plus subscription. But basically, Nate breaks it down to all plays, early downs, goal lines, short yards, third downs and two minute drills just to give you the full kind of utilization look at these players then last week man all plays most are 35 Edmonds 32 early downs was in favor of most are 29 to 17 short yardage three to two in favor of Edmonds and Edmonds did keep the third down usage but at a minimum Nate we went from a backfield that looked like it fully belonged to Chase Edmonds to now it being a 1a 1a or like a 1a 1b with most are firmly in the mix during any given week uh, yeah, I view it as a pretty even split at this point. Uh, Mostert was someone in San Francisco basically never really used in the passing downs. Um, he ran the most routes that he's ever run in a game in this game this past Sunday. So um, he was really used differently than we've ever seen him used before. And that's something that we could see going forward with how well Miami's passing game is going. So that'll leave him on the field. I think it's something where uh, we could potentially see a hot hand kind of thing where if one of these backs is playing particularly well, um, they could see a lot more playing time since they're used a bit more interchangeably than we thought they would be used going into the season. Now with Mostert, still like looking ahead to our week three ranks, he's probably not, he's definitely not going to be in the top 24, even in the top 36. Like he's not this must start kind of type of player here. So in terms of fab recommendations, Nate, you know, 15% sounds about right to me. I really wouldn't want to be going all in for Raheem Mostert. Uh, yeah, probably 15% since he's someone that probably should have been on plenty of fantasy rosters going into the season anyway, because he was still expected to see a decent number of carries and the clear number two in Miami before. So um, probably don't need to go too high for him. Now, a couple guys that are also going to be, you know, in the mix of all these waiver wire discussions. And depending on the league, maybe you need them. You know, I'm in some of these 14 team leagues with three flex spots where, yeah, I'll take 10 carries a week, even if, you know, we can't get much more. Tyler Algier with the Atlanta Falcons. Now, Damian Williams out of the picture on IR with that rib injury. Cordero Patterson still played the most snaps, but we actually did see him have to split up the early down work with Tyler Algier. Now, of course, Nate, we got Avery Williams out there as well, getting some snaps. So it's not the cleanest situation in Atlanta, and Algier didn't exactly make the best use of his touches. With that said, we still do have the projected early down back in Atlanta, and even though he doesn't have much draft capital to his name, it does seem like when we're looking at guys like Avery Williams and maybe Quadri Allison, if they can get him back involved at some point, Tyler Algier does project as the lead early down back moving forward. How much that's going to be worth in fantasy, you know, that's not much. I'll tell you that right now. With that said, Tyler Algier, Nate, does project just in terms of raw touch count as one of the better pickups of the week. Uh, yeah, especially in some of the larger leagues where a lot of these guys that we talked about already are probably taken, um, got the 10 carries and uh, Caleb Huntley is another Falcons back that you forgot to mention that is also in the mix of the of five to 10 players that they like to rotate in. But um, at any back that receives 10 carries in some of these leagues definitely needs to be on rosters. And um, I wrote in the article, there's a chance that uh, the Falcons switch to one of these other backs by this next week, or there's a chance that he leads the team and carries over the rest of the season. So basically a complete gamble at this point. 
Arizona Cardinals backfield. I thought we had it, man. I was shouting out from the rooftops at the end of last week to go get Eno Benjamin because he was the only running back that got used behind James Conner in week one. And this is a situation where whether it's Kenyon Drake, David Johnson, even for a bit, Chase Edmonds, James Conner, like Cliff Kingsbury has been willing to give his number one running back a true featured role over the years. So my thought was if something happens to James Conner or just if not, Eno could have been shaping up to be one of the top handcuffs in all fantasy football. Not quite what we got, Nate. I mean, once James Conner was out of the picture, shortly after halftime with that ankle injury, which to be fair, isn't being called serious. So it's not even like James Conner is for sure ruled out for this week, but just such a split between Daryl Williams and Eno Benjamin. And honestly, Daryl ended up being the guy that took the lead, played 32 snaps, 231 for Eno, but man, right down the middle pretty much. And we've seen Daryl do it in Kansas City, even if it's a little bit underwhelming compared to some of the league's better backs, he is a theoretical three down back. And we've seen Eno now three years in Arizona. Cliff has repeatedly found reasons not to really give him the ball. So, oh, Nate. Is the answer just no? Like, I want to say Eno has more upside, but even then, I just it's just, it's a guess, man. We don't know what's going to happen here. This was split right down the middle last week. And as you even point out, man, Daryl had all eight of the goal line opportunities. So maybe it should be Daryl. What are your thoughts on Arizona? Yeah, if I was forced to pick one of those two for this upcoming week, assuming James Conner is out, it would be Williams. Uh, Williams did mix in a little bit even near the beginning of the game before James Conner was hurt. So it wasn't even the Connor injury that started to make this a three back thing. It was already starting to happen before that point. So um, I probably lead Williams, but again, this is only F James Connor is out for the next game. And this is a very deep league where you are very desperate at running back, which you hopefully are not. Yeah. Again, Try to avoid it if you can. This is one of those instances where I think not the strongest overall waiver wire week. Like, Nathan, I, I texted you or before we got going here, and I just said, hey, let's do a better job of, you know, consistently bringing up the fab for these guys. And you just said, like, yeah, 1% for all of them because they're really – there really isn't anyone on the waiver wire this week that I think you're going to be looking back saying, my God, I can't believe I missed him. That ruined my season. Hey, famous last words. I'm knocking on wood, but just especially in terms of the running backs available in their specific week three role, uh, they're not huge. NFL's networks, Ian Rapport did report that James Conner's ankle injury, quote unquote, is not considered long-term or serious. So we'll see. Cliff will probably call him a game time decision, even if he doesn't practice or if he practices in full, because that's usually what Cliff does with his injury information. But, yeah, not going out of our way to go get those backups. Similar sentiment in New Orleans. Mark Ingram, Tony Jones. Uh, we even had DeAndre Washington out there. And that was with Latavius Murray out of the picture as well. So Mark Ingram was someone that last year, when they actually brought him into the picture, like he was getting a pretty featured role initially for the Saints. We weren't sure if they're going to do it again this year. At least last week they didn't. Now, Ingram did come into the game questionable himself with an ankle injury, so maybe that had something to do with it. But, Nate, I mean, Kamara seemed to be pretty close to playing through that rib injury last week as it was. I don't want anything to do with these backups, especially now that we know that, like, holding on to Ingram, even if Kamara does miss more time, we're not getting someone that we can feel good about getting, you know, more than 10 or 12 combined carries and targets per game i thought ingram actually looked more explosive than we probably would have expected when he was out there but just the usage man wasn't anything close to what we wanted uh yeah tony jones taking basically all the pass game work so it was a split passing versus rushing which i included ingram also in my players to cut this week in a lot of leagues just because um if he's not going to be a starting fantasy running back when uh, kamara is not playing then he's not going to be a fantasy starter definitely when kamara is playing so if you're never going to start him no need to keep him on your roster. But again, there are some leagues where 
if you're really desperate for a running back and Kamara misses another game, Ingram's another guy who could very well see 10 plus carries again and probably not much passing work. So if that's good enough for your starting lineup for week three, then go ahead and pick him up. We're joking around last week about how if you just looked at Rex Burkhead's usage and you just crossed out the name Rex and you put Damian Pierce there, instead you were looking at a legit RB1 or at least people were probably going to be treating him like that. Now, you know, the reality of life inside the Houston Texans offense, we've seen the issues, you know, them just not giving these running backs any sort of clear lanes, not many scoring chances. Damian really did make the most out of his early down work last week, and it was all the early down work. I mean, 32 early down snaps for Damian Pierce, just five for Rex Burkhead. Now, on the other side of things, Burkhead had seven of the eight third down snaps, all 10 of the two-minute drill snaps. So last week, at least last week, Damian Pierce, the full-time early down back, Rex Burkhead, the full-time pass down back that's not ideal it's not ideal Nate I I don't think there's anything that suggests Pierce can't be a three down back you know we saw him just really have really good PFF grades in pass blocking and receiving during his time at Florida but clearly Rex Burkhead isn't going anywhere they also have Dario Gubawale hanging in the wings and we've seen him in multiple committees over the years take that pass down roll up they clearly don't feel all that comfortable giving to Damian Pierce so Rex Burkhead absolutely can't start him right now but Based on that week two usage, like is Damian Pierce even someone you're still going to be wanting to put in starting lineups based on what we saw last week? Like, okay, there's always a flex out there. I get it. But do you think Pierce is actually now in the top 24 or are we still looking at kind of a game script dependent RB3? I think it'll be very game script dependent. Look who the matchup is on the upcoming week, how close Houston can keep the game, as well as how good or bad the run defense is. Since Burkhead, like you said, played all 10 two-minute drill snaps, Um, With third downs, I do make third and one, third and two, put that in short yardage rather than third downs. And the one third down he did play was third and four. So still a situation where running is very much uh, a possibility. So anytime that Houston was clearly going to pass the ball, it was still Rex Burkhead. And the fact that they were able to stay close in the game throughout the game meant they could use Pierce. So it seemed like week one was like a best best case scenario for Rex Burkhead. This was a worst case scenario for Rex Burkhead. I think the rest of the season will be more somewhere in the middle. Main running back waiver ad of the week is going to be Raheem Mostert, assuming that Ramondre Stevenson and Jeff Wilson are not available for you. Even then with Mostert, we're thinking more of a 10 to 15% fab expenditure, just not the situation that we want to be overly gambling on. When we get up into the 50% range, like that's for a three down running back for a long time. We still don't exactly know what's going on in Miami. It's looking better for Mostert. That's why he is the number one RB waiver wire ad of the week, just not a slam dunk like some of these guys we've seen in the past. We are most going to be fading Tyler Algier, the Cardinals backfield, the Saints backfield, and whatever is left of Rex Burkhead. Would note, Nate, as you do in your lovely way of wire article, that there are plenty of handcuffs and stashes out there that, hey, if you have, you know, just a wide receiver not seeing any time or a third tight end for some reason, or God forbid, a second defense. God, I hate when people do that. Go get one of these running backs instead. Jamal Williams with the Lions cemented as DeAndre Swift's handcuff and really just, you know, a flex of benefits in his own right, getting 10 plus carries per game and maybe a couple targets. Naeem Hines with the Colts. Frank Reich told us to draft him on our fantasy teams. Frank Reich was a dirty liar with that said. If Jonathan Taylor gets hurt, Hines will be the one to benefit the most. Brian Robinson with Washington. As you note, Nate, he actually returned to the practice field last week. Not eligible to return until week five, but realistic chance based on what we saw in the preseason that he could overtake Antonio Gibson as the early down back. I think they'll still keep all three guys involved once all three are healthy. At a minimum, though, just like Gibson was one injury to Brian Robinson away from now being basically an every week RB2 option. Same goes for Robinson. If Gibson gets hurt, 
Jalen Warren, clearly the number two behind Najee Harris in Pittsburgh right now. Like Jalen Warren is now kind of Nate, like who I was hoping Eno Benjamin was going to be because we have an offense that's willing to actually leave their starter out there. We didn't, we weren't for sure it was going to be Jalen Warren. I know we started to get that hype at the very end of the preseason, but it's taking us a little bit to really solidify that. We know it now. Don't be afraid to get. Najee Harris's handcuff and Jalen Warren, Alexander Madison with the Vikings, Khalil Herbert with the Bears, Kenneth Gamewell with the Eagles, a little more in the Naeem Hines side of things, but hey, we'll take more targets if that's what's available for us over the rush attempts, and it's gross, but true, Matt Breida with the New York Giants, the clear-cut number two behind Saquon Barkley. Any major notes here? Nate, you want to move on to wide receivers? Uh, I think I'm good to move on to wide receivers. The big one of the week. Two touchdowns, and as I said at the top of the show, could have realistically had three. Garrett Wilson and the Jets. Joe Flacco just keeps on keeping on, man. Last five starts, he's you know been able to clear 300 yards or and or throw for multiple touchdowns each and every time. Just one good thing after another from Mr. Elite. And Garrett Wilson, man, hasn't been fluky at all. I love some of the back end, all the back end tools we have at PFF. But one of them is just being able to look at a quarterback's their first read and you know just who they're looking at first. Are they throwing them the target or is a guy getting a bunch of targets? Just more so, you know, a checkdown option. And Garrett Wilson, man, the list of guys that he's with, you know, 19 or more first read targets, the Cooper Cups, the Devontae Adams of the world. He has been the featured one in New York, and they drafted him as a top 10 pick. Shouldn't exactly be a surprise. With that said, Corey Davis still going out there. He scored a long touchdown last week. It was a busted coverage, but it was still a long touchdown. Elijah Moore, we still seen enough to know that he's awfully good in his own right, and Braxton Berrios remains somewhat involved as well. So, Nate, overall thoughts on Garrett Wilson the rest of the way, and how much fab are you willing to spend uh, to acquire i believe what number 10 overall pick from the draft maybe number nine top 10 uh yeah I, i'm definitely excited for him going forward i might be a little worried about potentially starting him week three just because uh braxton barrios was uh, questionable coming into the game so part of garrett wilson's increase in snaps was taking over in the slot for barrios on a lot of plays and he really didn't do a ton from the slot all of his great plays were coming when he was lined up on the outside so i think in order for him to continue to see this kind of success, he'll really have to take over for Corey Davis as one of the outside receivers. So I definitely think that can happen this season, but I don't know if it's going to happen immediately because um, Corey Davis was still seeing plenty of time on the outside and played decently well on the outside as well. So I'm a little concerned for the short term, but long term, this was definitely excited to see. And obviously we do have Zach Wilson's, Expected to come back in week four, even if Joe Flacco might be the better, you know, near-term solution for the Jets. Clearly, they need to find out what they have with Zach Wilson, but that might be a detriment to Garrett Wilson and the rest of these receivers. So, Nate, like, where do you kind of expect? I know you haven't done your – maybe you have done your weekly rankings already. I know you're a savage uh, getting those done uh, much earlier than myself. But with Garrett Wilson, like, are we ready to anoint him ahead of Elijah Moore already and, you know, get him in that kind of mid-tier wide receiver three range? Or do you kind of look at both of them as, hey, last week was Garrett Wilson, next week could very easily be Elijah Moore? Yeah, right now I'd probably still have more ahead just because I expect him to see a decent amount more playing time, uh, possibly dependent on Braxton Berrios and uh, how he's sounding in terms of injuries going forward. But for now, I would still probably stick with Elijah as long as he's the clear one getting the most snaps and the most routes. Another Ohio State rookie popping all over the place with his week two utilization. Chris Alave mentioned the 320 air yards from last week. So, 
Yeah, they didn't complete him, but that's objectively fantastic usage. I mean, Cortland Sutton was the, is the only guy even close right now in terms of overall air yards on the season. Now, we saw in week one, Alave worked as number three behind Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry. You know, we're not expecting that type of usage every week, Nate. But we have downfield-oriented Jameis. Obviously, the training wheels are off in the 2022 version of the Saints offense. And with Alave being, you know, just running his freaking heart out there down the sidelines seemingly each and every play, at a minimum, man, he's now firmly in that weekly flex consideration. And he's a sort of boomer bust like wide receiver four, maybe even wide receiver three. That's good to have on your roster because for me, man, like first or last, Nate, like if someone has a better chance to get 20 points and someone has a better chance of getting, you know, 10, give me the guy with that 20 point upside all the time. But let's maybe, again, realize there's still Michael Thomas there. There's still Jarvis Landry there. Alvin Kamara wasn't active in this game. Chris Olave, while he does have that boomer bust upside, let's not get too carried away and anoint him as this, you know, every week starter already. Yeah, I think he's someone that we need to see him get a little bit more work outside of just all of the deep passes. He averaged over 25, average depth of target, over uh, 13 targets, which is something that we've never seen in a wide receiver in a game, and we have data going back to 2006 there. So um, he's unlikely to have a game exactly like the one that he just had. So I think uh, he's not going to be leaving the field very much, at least. Uh, I know he's probably still the number three wide receiver for New Orleans, but they stay in three wide receivers so often whenever they run pass plays that it doesn't matter who you determine the number two or the number three. All three of them are going to be on the field and seeing plenty of targets. So um, I think it was excited to see his usage in week two, but I think we need to see a little bit more variety of usage before I'm really comfortable putting him in my starting lineup. But definitely if he's available, pick him up. Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, are you willing to spend 20% fab on these guys or is that a little steep? Um, it's a little steep just because uh, in a lot of leagues they're already taken, so I have to imagine that the leagues that they're available are fairly light benches, so they're probably pretty good players that you have on your bench that you would have to be cutting in order to pick one of them up. Good point, good sir, and I'm guessing that's kind of similar sentiment is going to apply to the rest of the wide receivers we're talking about here, but still some quality options. Jacoby Myers, since week one of last season, so just the Mac Jones era, Jacoby Myers has 149 targets. The next closest Patriot is Hunter Henry with 82. He's, he's so locked in as a number one option. Now he still can't score touchdowns because, you know, we just don't deserve good things, I guess. But Jacoby Myers, Nate, Easily the number one in an offense that's basically ignoring Kendrick Bourne now. We do have Nelson Aguilar parting like, you know, it's 2017 again. But Jacoby really does stand out as number one. And this week he gets a Baltimore Ravens secondary that, yeah, we did see blow, you know, not one, not two, seemingly five different coverages uh, throughout that six touchdown performance from Tua Tagovailoa. So Jacoby Myers, the guy that we drafted as a wide receiver six, knowing that he could have more upside with that said, with the current state of the Patriots passing game, it's going to be tough to exactly be like, yeah, force Jacoby Myers in the starting lineups of all shapes and sizes. In PPR, though, Nate, he's going to consistently be a top 48 option now, probably the rest of the way. Um, I certainly think so. I've been high on Myers all offseason. And if anything, I might be a little more concerned about him now than I was a month ago, just because Nelson Aguilar has been playing as well as he has. And he's the only other player that they really use in the slot sometimes. So if there is anyone that's a threat to Myers playing time, it's Aguilar. And that's especially if Kendrick Bourne starts to see more playing time if he's out of the Patriots' doghouse. Uh, Taquan Thornton, once ever he's healthy, um, could also be taking more snaps on the outside, which could move Aguilar in the slot more. So 
uh, definitely excited about Myers this week and think he has the talent to continue to do well. Just concerned with how many options the Patriots have on offense and if they try to continue to use all of them in some kind of rotation. Washington Commanders putting up all sorts of passing yards in the first two weeks. Terry McLaurin's getting his, Jahan Dotson getting his, but really the number one has been Curtis Samuel. 15 reception tied for the fourth most among all wide receivers, as Nate points out again in his waiver wire article you can find on pff.com. His average target depth is just three yards, which, you know, you might say, oh, he doesn't have the same sort of upside as McLaurin or Dotson getting the downfield shots. I don't know, Nate. When we're in full PPR scoring, we wanted to take 10 catches to get to 100 yards, you know, not two. I understand, like, we'll take, you know, more yards and less yards on any given pass. But the point stands that Curtis is the one getting the designed opportunities in this offense. You know, the throwback screens, the the wheels. He's lining up in the backfield and getting a defensive end matched up on him and scoring a touchdown because, my God, you know, cornerbacks can barely guard Curtis Samuel, let alone a freaking DN. But we do we did see in the first half, you know, that there is going to be, you know, probably there will be a bad side to the Carson Wentz experience at some point or another throughout the whole game. What are your overall kind of thoughts on Curtis Samuel? And is it is his excellence less of, I guess, like, oh, my God, he's the absolute number one in this offense or maybe more of a maybe we just ranked Terry McLaurin a little bit too far ahead of these other guys? Um, I think it's he's finally healthy since like two years ago. We saw Samuel doing really well in Carolina in this same offense. So we knew he was capable of doing this. He's just been plagued by injuries the last couple of seasons. So even coming into this year, I know he was dealing with at least a little bit of injuries here and there. So I think that had a lot to do with it. And I think the, like you said, average depth of target of three yards, that will really help him, especially when Washington's playing a really good defense that can take away a lot of these other wide receivers, but uh, you can complete three yard passes easily enough regardless of the defense. So I think he'll continue to be a consistent player, maybe not have the same upside as some of these other wide receivers, but someone that you can feel more comfortable plugging into your starting lineup each week. Sterling Shepard, as I said, opening up the show's potential 78 yard house call last week. Did get nudged, but I think Daniel Jones still could have at least put the ball in his general vicinity. I don't know. Maybe I'm asking too much here. Cemented as one of the Giants' top two starting wide receivers. The other one is David Sills because, of course, it is. Kenny Galladay played two snaps last week. Kadarius Tony splitting times with Richie James with Wondale Robinson still hurt with the knee injury. So all that madness aside, we do have Sterling Shepard recover from the Achilles and looking good out there. Like I would not, if you did not tell me that he tore his Achilles just looking at last year versus this year's, I probably wouldn't have known. And just based on, you know, his recovery, Emmanuel Sanders' recovery, it's surprising to me to see the wide receivers have a far easier time than some of the tight ends and running backs have had over the past few years. With that said, Nate, still an offense led by Daniel Jones. I don't think we're expecting the most passing upside, but just in terms of someone that Shepard, I mean, my goodness, he was going outside usually the top 90, top 100 receivers sometimes in fantasy drafts. He's now someone that's going to be hard to rank, you know, more than 40, 50 ahead of. Oh, yeah, I think he's someone that will continue to see targets, at least for the short term. I'm just concerned with how, um, unpredictable the Giants wide receivers have been so far this season. Kenny Galladay was a clear starter in week one, and then he was potentially going to be inactive in this upcoming week because of how many wide receivers they have. Uh, Darius Slayton is someone who we would have at least had before Davis Stills and or Sills and uh, Richie James coming into the season, and he only played, I think, four snaps in this game. So um, they're definitely going in a different route than we expected and can continue to go in different routes than we expect um, when other players are out of the doghouse or 
Wandale Robinson is healthy. So I'm happy with him in the short term, but I also wouldn't be surprised if his snaps get cut at some point this season. Oh, this one's sad, Nate. From Shirley, dropped Kadarius Tony for Shepard. Are we there? I probably wouldn't because I just don't think Shepard is going to be this like wide receiver two we need to have in lineups at any point. And we have seen Tony's usage, while it's still pathetic, go up over the last two weeks. But it, maybe I'm still living in the past, Nate. Would you take Shepard over Tony rest of season? Depending on your roster, if you need a wide receiver that you need to start this week or in the next couple weeks, then I would keep Shepard because he's someone you could put in your starting lineup. If this is one of your backup spots where you don't need to worry about starting one of them, I would get Tony because he has a higher chance of being a top 15 wide receiver at some point this season. Well said. And a good note from our guy, Mogul. How high can Garrett Wilson be rest of season? More rest of season expectations would be helpful. No point of picking up another wide receiver three when I have plenty of wide receiver threes. I thought Nate actually explained that uh, pretty well when we were kind of going through the fab allocation for guys like Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Because if they are out there on your waiver wire, good chance you do have a more shallow bench. So to Mogul's point, you already have wide receiver threes. Like I don't think you need to go completely out of your way to go get these guys because Garrett Wilson is always going to have to deal with Elijah Moore and Corey Davis this year like I understand we wish Corey Davis just didn't exist I know you like Corey Davis Nate from you know maybe, maybe that's not the case for you but the general fantasy industry would wish Corey Davis doesn't exist but he does and going from Flacco to Zach Wilson could very well be a net negative for the passing game and with Chris Olave again he could be the number four target in that offense during any given week so with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave like no I don't see the same wide receiver two maybe even wide receiver one upside that's someone like Drake London currently has at the moment because of his target domination so maybe garrett wilson is able to just be that damn good to be this upside wide receiver three but with the concerns that quarterback and then just again with a lot of other target competition on the field no i don't think that you know either wilson or Olave have this you know ridiculous upside wide receiver two best case scenario the rest of the way and i'd say there's a similar sentiment there with jacoby with curtis samuel and Sterling shepherd again not the sexiest group of waiver wire guys you know maybe that's not getting everyone as hyped up uh, for the content as uh, as we should be out here nate but you know let's call a spade a spade here curtis samuel still in an offense led by carson Wentz. i know he's looked good for two weeks let's see what it looks like after four we have seen you know a good six years of the guy i say this as someone that barked to you guys about carson Wentz way too freaking much this offseason uh Kurt and then sterling shepherd once again an offense led by daniel jones jacoby myers led in an offense by mac jones who let's face it really has regressed over all the first two weeks and still is spreading things around a good amount now some upside number three wide receivers that may or may not be on the waiver wire. Again, guys, you don't need to completely go out of your way for, but they can help out and just be a nice little one-week felons or maybe have some you know future upside. Josh Palmer with the Chargers. Keenan Allen has now had an extra long week to get back, but we did see in week one that Jalen Guyton really was now working as the clear number four receiver. So at worst, Josh Palmer, even with Keenan Allen back in the picture, Boomer bust, you know, wide receiver five type more weeks than not, which once bye weeks come around can be helpful. Isaiah McKenzie, similar sentiment. It's going to be tough to start him in weeks where Gabriel Davis is back, but when he's not, you can get behind him a little more than normal. George Pickens might need a quarterback change to get going, but he is running, you know, routes out there basically as often as Deontay and Claypool. Romeo Dobbs and Sammy Watkins, if you want to get involved in, you know, Aaron Rodgers spreading the ball out, three, four targets to seemingly every player. But at some point, you know, maybe Dobbs can take over or maybe Watkins week two, not even week one, was a sign of good things to come. 
Kyle Phillips with the Falcons banged up in week two, but we did see him really take that slot role in week one. Ashton Doolin with the Colts working as the number one with Pittman and Pierce sideline. Nelson Aguilar doing good things that the mainstream media won't address for some reason because that random Eagles fan made fun of him like five years ago. Corey Davis talked about him and Noah Brown with the Cowboys. As long as Michael Gallup is out, does seem like a good candidate to see six to eight targets during any given week. So, Nate, anyone here you want to highlight? I just want to mention with Isaiah McKenzie, I did write this article on Monday before the Monday Night Football games happened. It was pretty disappointing to see McKenzie not see that much of an increase in playing time on Monday night. Um, Jamison Crowder still mixing in plenty in the slot, and McKenzie really didn't see many opportunities on the outside. So I've soured a little bit on picking him up compared to some of the other wide receivers that you just mentioned. We got some of that preseason outside usage, but then Jake Kumaro had to come in and do Jake Kumaro things in uh, week two for us. So shame, 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 but oh well. All right, tight end, Tyler Higby. He was the number one suggested waiver wire ad last week at the position. He still is second among tight ends and targets this season with 18. Again, dropped that side on touchdown from Matthew Stafford, but I don't want to call a drop touchdown a good thing, Nate, but you know, you got open enough in the end zone. You demand the target. It's not the worst thing uh, in the world. Hopefully a sign of better things to come there for Tyler Higby. Again, in this offense for Allen Robinson, you know, just continues to not be able to buy all that much attention from Matthew Stafford. I don't think it's going to be too much of a surprise moving forward. If we see Higby as a number two target more weeks than not also have Logan Thomas, who is slowly but surely working his way back into the number one role. They're still easing him back in like in Washington when the guy is healthy they usually give their tight end legit 100% of the snaps and last week it was Logan Thomas 54 John Bates 24 and Armani Rogers have one but as long as that keeps on going up Logan Thomas is going to be someone again in a passing game that's exceeding expectations that I think is going to you know before we know it be an upside tight end too certainly someone you can prefer over guys like Cole Komet right now have Irv Smith out there working his way back as well. The drops suck, but the involvement was good. Gerald Everett doesn't quite have as good a usage as we would expect, even though he's been putting up some good numbers. We're still seeing Trey McKitty and some other guys involved. And keep an eye on Donald Parham. Once he comes back from that hamstring injury, that can really muddle things up. And finally, Tyler Conklin benefiting right now from C.J. Uzoma being out. But just in this New York Jets offense, I don't think we're going to be seeing too much upside going to the tight end position. So, Nate, out of these five for this week, Tyler Higby one, Logan Thomas two, favorite streamer ads at tight end? Um, Higby's the top guy, but he's also taken in a lot more fantasy leagues. So um, he's someone where if he's available, you definitely want to get him. I think he can be a fantasy starter basically the rest of the season where Logan Thomas, um, not quite as high on him, but he is also available in a lot more leagues. So probably more likely to be able to pick Thomas up. Logan Thomas is going to be our official sleeper of the week. If I can get the lovely sleeper show tag show up. There it is. Love our friends at sleeper. My favorite redraft platform to use, you know, Definitely small shape and size. It's great day. It'd be great. Nate. I love anyone that attempts to take tiered PPR to the next level because nothing pisses me off more than watching a running back catch a pass for negative five yards and still actually be rewarded with positive fantasy points. So shout out to our friends at Sleeper. Don't be afraid to go get Logan Thomas off that waiver wire. Another guy who, again, was only as cheap as he was throughout the entire offseason just because he was injured. And now, guess what? He's not as injured. He's getting more playing time, and we're accordingly moving him up the ranks. So, guys, quick overall recap. 
recap of everything we've talked about at quarterback. Top ad of the week is Tua Tagovailoa. Behind him, Jameis Winston and Justin Fields. I actually feel like I said Tua's last name right. Good job by me. Not getting too carried away on any of these guys. Again, about really regardless of position, just the way things are falling this week, anything more than 15% of your fab on any of these players, you're probably pushing it a, a bit much. I will say on the fab, uh, Go up a couple dollars. Like, don't do 15, do like 18, don't do 20, do 21, 22, because you will be surprised when you go back and look at those bids, how many people pick those nice round numbers at running back. If they're available, Ramondre Stevenson and Jeff Wilson, 100%. If not, and Ramondre Stevenson and Jeff Wilson would break that 15% fab rule by a little bit, to be fair, but they're owned in a ton of leagues already. So if not, Raheem Mostert is someone that might be able to give us RB3 value more weeks than not moving forward. We're not really in on Tyler Algier, the Cardinals backfield, the Saints backfield, or Rex Burkhead at this point. Some good handcuffs and uh, stashes for your bench if you have the room. Jamal Williams, Naeem Hines, Brian Robinson, Jalen Warren, Alexander Madison, Khalil Herbert, Kenneth Gamo, and Matt Breida. At wide receiver, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jacoby Myers, Curtis Samuel, and Sterling Shepard are top five ads of the week. Again, though, when you look at just overall rest of the season upside, I don't think any of these guys are going to be you know coasting into the wide receiver two conversation anytime soon because of their various limitations on offense and with the other talented wide receivers involved uh, in their respective situations. Some upside wide receiver threes that might be able to help you to a lesser extent, you know, in deeper leagues. Josh Palmer, Isaiah McKenzie, not great Monday night usage though, as Nate brought up. George Pickens, Romeo Dobbs, Sammy Watkins, Kyle Phillips, Ashton Doolin, Nelson Aguilar, Corey Davis, and Noah Brown. And finally, at tight end, if he's out there, Tyler Higby should once again be the top ad of the week. If not, go ahead and go get Logan Thomas. Lesser extent, Irv Smith. Hate to see those drops, though, especially if they could lead to, you know, reduced playing time. That remains to be seen. Gerald Everett. If we are going to have a tight end without ideal utilization, they should at least be catching passes from Justin Herbert. So I'm not saying you can't go with Gerald Everett, but I will be taking guys like Higby, among others, ahead of him, and Tyler Conklin if you're really desperate. Nate, you also have an article out on every Tuesday talking about five guys to sign, five guys to cut, five guys to buy low, and five guys to sell high. So kind of list those off for the lovely listeners here, and you can tell me, you know, any key takeaways. But your five to cut, Mark Ingram, makes sense. Kenny Galladay, makes sense. Sky Moore, playing behind Justin Watson right now. It's just not someone that needs to be kept. And to be fair, I think there was always a decent chance that Sky Moore is going to be more of a 2023 and beyond player. Also, Cole Komet and Noah Fant were done. Hurts on Komet, Nate, but here we are. It's It has been two fluky weeks, but if anything, it's in terms of I think the overall pass attempts the Bears have had. But if anything, it's more clear than ever how low the passing game upside is in Chicago, and Ryan Griffin's not going anywhere. Oh, uh, yeah. he. I was low on Cole going into the season just because he hasn't graded very well. His um, All his rate stats haven't been good. His only positive thing was the playing time that he was seeing, and now that isn't as high as it was before either, so – Definitely fine dropping him for any of the five tight ends that we were talking about just earlier. Five players you suggest buying low on. Christian McCaffrey, 24 straight non-injured games with at least 100 yards or a touchdown. Chill, all right? Chill on McCaffrey, everyone. Josh Jacobs, 
Hey, his snaps were up there last week. Now, it did come with Brandon Bolden out. But the good thing in Vegas, Nate, is that it's Josh Jacobs, and then it's a pass down back. Like, Zamir White hasn't made this like an early down committee. It was Jacobs and Bolden in week one, Jacobs and Abdullah in week two. Jacobs looks good out there, but we can live with two back committees. It'd be a lot cooler if he was catching passes. But I really like the buying low on Josh Jacobs' call. Jeff Wilson talked about him a little bit before. Debo Samuel, someone that with Jimmy G under center. It sucks, man, with that Trey Lance got hurt. None of us want to see the guys get injured. For every single running back, wide receiver, and George Kittle, though, objectively better fantasy options with Jimmy G under center, not Trey Lance for the increased volume and probably the increased efficiency, at least in the passing game. And finally, George Pickens, someone to also buy low on. Please, Pittsburgh, what what else do we need to see with Mr. Trubisky here? Just go with Pickett already. Like, I, I just don't know what we're doing at this point. But Pickens, someone that Mitch has said after each of the first two weeks, he wants to get more involved. Maybe at some point they actually do. Oh, yeah. And like CMC is not a traditional buy low candidate that we started out with because he did just have the 100 yards, but he was finally seeing that usage that we started to see in previous seasons of basically barely leaving the field, running around on nearly every pass play, getting nearly every carry. So once Carolina just starts, their offense just needs to play a little bit better so they can start running more plays. And the more plays they run, the more plays that'll go to CMC as well as DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. Five to sell high on Brees Hall, Damian Pierce, Rashad Bateman, Darren Waller, and Gerald Everett. What's going on with the Bateman uh, selling high? Nate, is it just the kind again him making the most out of what like nine total targets this year? Are we not confident that's going to increase moving forward? Just a matter of sharing, you know, a run first offense with Mark Andrews. Uh, yeah, it's the run first offense that eventually we'll see J.K. Dobbins back. Hopefully, at some point in the season, we'll also see Gus Edwards back. So I expect them to be running more once those guys are healthy. Um, And he is doing it on a fairly low target share or target volume as well. Uh, Basically all of his work came on a 75 yard touchdown pass, which he's not going to see that every single week. So just someone where his stats are probably higher now than they will be on a per game basis going forward. Also have Gerald Everett, who we mentioned, and Darren Waller, someone who has, you know, been able to find the end zone, but maybe doesn't have that same sort of gaudy target zone that we've seen in past years. Once again, Nate, just a matter of volume for Waller, having to share a passing game with Adams and Renfro and even Foster Moreau sometimes. Uh, Yeah, he was taken off the field a lot more for Foster Moreau than he has been in any past game. So I'm not exactly sure why they were doing that. But he also in week one was seeing a little bit less playing time than he's used to seeing. So He's still going to be a top five fantasy tight end going forward, but I am concerned that he's not going to see as much playing time. So that might reduce his volume and still make plenty of big plays compared to tight ends who aren't nearly as talented, but just someone who I don't think will perform as well in fantasy as he has in the past. Again, you can find all this information and much more from Nate over on PFF.com. Premium content, but PFF Plus, you know? We got you guys covered. Why the hell not? It's, it's not that much money. And we're trying to help you win money. It's not like this is a Chipotle burrito that you're just going to eat and be done with. You might actually have you know a chance to make some more money down the road. And you can actually find Nate on Twitter at PFF underscore Nate Yonke. Jay, 
M-A-H-N-K-E. I got a tricky last name to spell as well, Nate. Before we get out of here, though, I want to give a quick shout-out to some of our sponsors. The NFL action is in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100% with payouts bigger than ever. Why bet on football anywhere else and to make things even sweeter you can throw down stepped up same game parlays once per game all season long download DraftKings sportsbook app now and use promo code pff to get 200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a five dollar bet on any football game that's code pff only at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nfl Note that minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes for details. Also, No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Play in pick'em contests versus other people for the shot at winning 250K plus in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day. You can also test your skills versus the house and 20 times your entry if you hit all your picks. Better enough to five-player prop over-unders or individual individual player matchups across every major sports league, including the NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now with promo code FANTASYPFF at NoHouseAdvantage.com or download the app on the app stores to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You don't want to miss out on this. Again, everyone, waiver wire information at pff.com. I hope you guys' waiver wire is on Wednesdays. I don't know who the hell invented Tuesday night waiver wires. I find it un American, Nate, but you know, we'll get this done in the meantime. I still feel like Monday, just stretching it a little bit. But you know, if you guys just radically think that us doing this, uh, you know, at 12 30 Tuesday, not enough time for you. Let me know, and I would be willing to adjust. But, again, going live with it, I like to think that, you know, you guys have more than enough time. And once again, you will always have PFF Nate's articles on pff.com late Monday and early Tuesday. Anything else you want to get off your chest, Nate? I'll say this waiver piece is even out earlier. It was out about 3 o'clock in the morning on Monday morning. So if you have your waivers and need them done by like 7 o'clock in the morning, even then I'll have you covered. Absolute king shit from Nate as always. You can find my shoe support and positional breakdowns each and every week on pff.com. I even throw some injury analysis in at the end of the week now because why not, man? Great day to be great. For Nate, I'm Ian. Thanks to those for tuning in to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.